Welcome to another Charity Chat episode and I'm your host, Osman Mughal. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Adam Bryan, founder of Dive to Thrive, an organisation which incorporates well-being and executive coaching to help you perform at the top of your game so that you can find the clarity to make good decisions and achieve your goals. Previously, Adam has worked at director level at a FTSE 100 company, independently as a consultant and in the non-for-profit sector at the Chartered Institute of Fundraising. In this episode, Adam shares his passion and commitment to well-being and coaching and shares his personal journey and motivation behind setting up his own organisation. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by fundraising platform Work for Good, who are inviting charities to get in the Christmas spirit by joining the Small Business Star Match Funding campaign. This year, there is a £50,000 match pot to help charities maximise the impact of sales-based festive fundraising. Head to their website at workforgood.co.uk to sign up for free. It's a fascinating conversation, so without further ado, here's a podcast with Adam. Hello Adam, and thank you so much for joining us again on Charity Chat. It's wonderful to have you back on. Thank you, Osman. I'm, uh, well, delighted to be invited and um yeah thank you very much for having me back on the show it's a pleasure adam and before we get into the podcast and discuss a wide range of topics today i wanted to give you the opportunity to share a little bit more about yourself so if you could just open up and give us a brief introduction into your career um, and the different roles and responsibilities that you've held and also what attracted you to working in the non-for-profit sector in the first place well, my first proper job, well, I don't even know if I can call it a proper job, was selling advertising space for a company called EMAP, who were quite a famous magazine publisher. So they produced magazines like Heat, Grazia, Smash Hits. Um, I worked on the B2B division, so I was the advertising manager on Broadcast Magazine, and then I covered the whole media portfolio and also was responsible for Screen International, which is an international film title. The, the best bit of the job was I went to Cannes for the film festival, for the TV market, so about three times a year. That was fun. Then, then I think a combination of factors made me reassess my career. So I think I was there for close to 10 years. Um, one, I had some health issues, which I can come back to later. And then I, well, I just got fed up really making money for grey men in suits and the kind of constant merry-go-round that wasn't very merry of can you bring in more money 
can you cut your costs can you look at the margin so all, all of that stuff made me definitely reassess what I wanted to do uh, so at first well I realized I wanted to have a positive impact if, if I was going to be in a commercial role I wanted the impact to be a positive one so I set, this was the first time after that I set up on my own um, and I worked on a development project with Channel 4 about they wanted a sustainable living exhibition I worked for the Cambridge Film Festival which was that was a great little job and it, it gave me my first foray into fundraising so one of the things that we did was launch a major donor program we launched it at ely cathedral michael palin came along and we had the, the great and the good from the area and they they kind of signed up to support the festival so i had a you know worked on a few projects which was great and then I was actually approached by the Institute, the COO at the time, a guy called Bruce Leak. He had worked at EMAP. And I, well, I went in as director of income generation, which wasn't a title I really liked that much, just because I'm, I kind of like to go out and meet people. I know it's a good, you know, particularly in fundraising now, it's a helpful title because often directors are responsible for more than fundraising. But for me, it was an external role. And I just always kind of felt I would, I needed to find the equivalent was a director of income loss who would give me their money. So I, I changed it to focus on partnerships, then took on innovation and also organizational membership. So I then got to really immerse myself in the sector and meet lots of fantastic people. Like you, Usman. You're very kind, Adam. Thank you so much. And what strikes me is that you've had such a varied career and you've put your hands in, you know, in all sorts. And, and that can be very appealing to those within the charitable sector because it means that you have lots of skills and lots of qualities. How did your experience early on in your career, working at those organisations that you've just mentioned, how did that prepare you for a career within the charity sector? My early career really was as a salesperson. So I developed sales skills, which, which I think have put me in fairly good stead in the charity sector. And for lots of what I was doing with the Institute was developing sponsorship programs. And certainly to begin with, that, that was the focus around events like convention, so I think that did give me a good insight into building relationships with people. And as I move on to the next stage of it, asking, asking good, open, incisive questions is just as important. That leads me on to very nicely onto my next area that I'd like to discuss with you, which is the organisation that you've recently set up, which is Dive to Thrive. Could you tell us a little bit more about this organisation that you've set up? So what are the aims and objectives of the organisation? And what made you um, set up this organisation? 
Um, I ask, <laughs> I ask myself it pretty much every day at the moment. What made me set this up? Um, so it's uh, a coaching. So I've trained to be an executive coach, and it was. Well, it's Richard Taylor, who was former chair of the Institute and director of fundraising at Cancer Research and Macmillan. He first sparked my interest in coaching and he asked me if it was something, it was quite a few years ago, he asked me if it was something I'd considered. And it wasn't at the time. I perhaps didn't really know that much about it. And I thought to be a coach, I probably had to be a really, really good manager and I know Richard had this reputation of bringing on lots of people and just being a fantastic man manager which he is and I kind of thought you know I'm not even sure I'm that good a manager although I'm interested in people but then he said to me you're good at asking questions so that point going back to questions and he said you're a good listener so these are you know two skills that are required to be a coach so that then did spark my interest. So I've studied, I've read lots of books. Um, Nancy Klein, uh, her book, she's written lots of books now, but her, her first one on why we think and, and creating a thinking environment, again, was a, an inspiration. So to be a good coach, it's not about the coach. It's not about my experiences. It's helping the client find the answers to their own challenges and to address them in the way that's unique to them. So it's a, a brilliant coach is the one that brings out the brilliance of the client. I think that's the Nancy Klein quote. So that resonated with me and that made me think it is something that I could do. But I also thought if, if it is something that I'm going to do, I should try and bring my own personality and my passions into it. So this is where the, the well-being side comes in. Um, to give you a bit of background, I mentioned I had health issues, so not you know super serious at all, but I was diagnosed with type one diabetes when I was about 35. So in a way it's quite old to get type one but it's an autoimmune illness my pancreas stopped producing insulin so i need to inject it about five times a day and i didn't know why i got it you know the best i got from the doctors was that it was genetic and hereditary but no one in my family really had it but although it's irritating it's kind of made me the person that I am. So my first reaction was to prove my body could still work. So I signed up to the London Marathon, which was great, I think. And then I subsequently ran more marathons, I did triathlons. I'm kind of really determined to be physically fit. From the triathlons, I got very much into swimming, which, well, I love all these things still running, cycling, but swimming, I swim every day at Brockwell Lido in South London. If any of your listeners go there, do say hello. Um, and it's open throughout the year and it's not heated. So I got into cold water swimming, which 
really popular now but it's something I've, I've seen the benefits of for quite a while so I think with the physical the, the, the mental benefits that often come with cold water swimming as well getting through the challenge um the diabetes has helped me focus on diet and nutrition um and made me understand how much sugar is in so much food often that's promoted as the healthy choice um my wife runs yoga retreats so i've been a long-term practitioner of yoga and i've also seen great benefit in that so strength flexibility balance and mindset and everything that comes with it so the, the meditation and the breathing exercises so all of that well-being stuff has been a big part of my life for quite a long time so i, I thought with the coaching is there an element that i can bring in to support people and you know i enjoy a glass of wine as well i'm not a complete killjoy <laughs> but uh going back to the objectives then so i want to help individuals and teams perform at their best so i'm trying to look at what they're doing outside of the workplace as well as in it but it's also a waste if everybody is really motivated if they're really energetic and then they get into the work environment and it sucks the life out of them so it's also looking at values workplace culture bringing in things like growth mindset and a creating an environment of psychological safety so people feel that they can be themselves their voice is heard and you know we we have a we're creating diverse teams that you know are focused on trying to achieve the best that they can you know although my focus is on my focus is on helping people fulfill their potentials so I look I look at well-being and what they do outside of work but it is very much geared to help them be their best in the working environment so my background was in innovation i want people to innovate and to feel that they can express good ideas and be themselves so in doing what i do hopefully it does help create a culture of innovation in the sector Brilliant, Adam. And the first thing to say is it's really inspiring to hear you speak about some of the challenges that you faced in your life and in your career, but the way that you're able to not only overcome them, but help others on that journey too, and whatever their challenges are. And I think it's important to, to say that first. And in terms of what you're doing now with your organisation, you're touching on a whole range of areas which are so topical and increasingly important in the workplace from looking at how somebody can perform at their optimum to get the best results for themselves, for their departments, for their organisations, but ultimately for the beneficiaries um, that we serve um, across our sector. I now wanted to move on to talk a little bit more about how you're supporting organisations. So could you outline some of the key themes or areas that you've been working on with particular organizations. I know that you've worked with some household names 
in the past year. And what have what have these themes been, first of all, and how have they been impacted by the pandemic? Yeah, well, I think everything has been affected by the pandemic. So it's important to understand how tough it has been. So I've seen many people struggle with health and mental health issues, and not everybody talks about this. So just touching upon general well-being, and that covers a, a broad spectrum. And it's great that many organizations are taking it seriously and have invested in looking after their staff, providing them with a supportive, safe and secure environment. I've, what I've been doing is working with individuals and teams. So the first project I worked on this year was a team challenge at Shelter. So I do need to say a big thank you to Andy Harris there for giving me the opportunity for diving in. Um, and our objective was to motivate the team and bring them together virtually. It was during lockdown. And I wanted to cover physical, mental and emotional health. So included within the programme was meditation, yoga, breathing exercises, we put in a daily cold shower and gratitude sharing exercise. So I think team challenges are great. So we can take well-being seriously, but have fun doing it. And also include elements that you wouldn't normally feel comfortable talking to your team about, such as, you know, how well did they sleep? Um, but, it, you know, sleep is a fundamental pillar of good health, and I'll come to that later. So, that you know, that that's where I think team challenges can come into their own. I've also run workshops on how we can rethink working day and make the most of a hybrid model of working, so two or three days in the office, how people can start winning the dreaded commute, and also just how to realign with our values and a sense of purpose, which can be knocked, particularly with too much time on social media or listening and watching the news. You know, there's an awful lot of negativity out there to deal with. And with regards to individuals, I, I work with people who want to push their limits inside and outside of work. And you'd be surprised how many people are realizing that they're capable of achieving much more than they initially thought. So I'd like to think that's for everybody, that there's something for everyone, but I appreciate it's not. Some people really do like being in a permanent state of comfort and warmth. But if you are someone who's just ticking over, perhaps languishing, but you want to live life to the full and tap into those, <clears throat> excuse me, new levels of courage. Well, I'd like to, would like to think that there's something here for you. And then the other thing I just want to quickly mention is I'm working with some partners and advisors to develop these initiatives. One of them is a surgeon and a former clinical director at St. Thomas's Hospital. So Matt is a strong advocate of a preventative healthcare system rather than one that's 
reactive and over medicalized, which, which is kind of what we have. Um, and he's passionate about five pillars of good health. So sleep, I mentioned, exercise, nutrition, hormesis, which is putting your body under some good stress. So things like cold. Um, another one he mentions is stubbing your toe. So when you stub your toe, that often kicks your immune system into action. So uh, yeah, we're going to do a project where you stub your toe five times a day, and it's amazing, amazing. Uh, no, not really, not really. We're not going to do that one. But um, I've forgotten where I am now. And the fifth pillar is mindfulness. So that's just being aware. So meditation is a form of mindfulness, but what we look at is, you know, how am I feeling today? Is it the right time to exercise? What should I be eating? And how you react to certain things. Another super brainy person I'm working with is a doctor in the brain sciences team at Imperial. So Victoria has done a lot of work into our negativity bias. We all have it. We're programmed as human beings to watch out for saber-toothed tigers. Um, but it can have a, a you know, it's in us to various extent, and it can have a serious effect on our confidence and motivation and play out as imposter syndrome, for example. Then I, I also work with a yoga teacher and a personal trainer. Again, with a personal trainer, I'm keen to do something going back to the commute, how we can fit some of our daily exercise into that. You've been certainly very busy since you started the organisation and it feels like you're developing um, a whole suite of programmes to improve the mental health and well-being of colleagues across our sector there's so much to unpick there but I'll focus on a few points if that's okay it's great that you're taking an evidence-based model and approach to solving some of these issues and it seems like these conversations you're having with individuals and organization is very timely because of the pandemic a lot of us are talking about burnout taking regular breaks a lot more than we were perhaps a few years ago so it's really important that we have that open conversation in our workplaces. The question I have is what has been the feedback so far from the individuals, teams and organizations that you've worked with so far? If we go back to the first project with Shelter, so I would say the, the, the people that opted into the challenge were those that were motivated, perhaps. So, so I think for those that are already motivated and ambitious and want to get ahead and try new things it's been very positive but I'm also conscious personally that I do think there is something for the you know for that there's still something to be done to encourage more people to to find what works for them in a well-being environment so you know, I, I mentioned cold water swimming, but I know it's not for everybody and I wouldn't try and force it on everybody. But, you know, I, I know for me personally, my best ideas come when I take a break. 
generally when I'm in the bath or something, that's that's when I will get some inspiration. So it's helping people just find, uh, to begin with, and to create some good habits. So that's something else I actually look at is, you know, how, if you don't think you're doing enough exercise, how can we just change behaviours slightly and bring in some good habits? And it, you know, just going out for a, a daily walk, is is fantastic I go out for a daily walk you know that that for some people can be enough so it is finding what works for the individual and not you know I wouldn't want people to feel that they they can't do something and Adam you've worked in the the sector for a number of years and you've got um, many years of experience under your belt working with a range of organizations and individuals I wanted your view um, on how the sector has responded to the pandemic. So got a couple of questions. Firstly, in your view, how has the sector thrived during the pandemic? What has been the successes, what it's done well? And secondly, what lessons or learning should the charitable sector take from the pandemic? So during the pandemic, we've seen many organisations move quickly, innovate, pivot. We started using some new words like pivot, which I think we're still using, um, and launch new products. So that's all been brilliant. And, and also, as I mentioned earlier, take staff well-being seriously. So hopefully all of this will continue, along with that culture of innovation we do need to work hard as a sector to remain relevant and and the other thing that i want to come back to is just keep asking lots of questions what are we trying to achieve is there another way how how could we do this with more impact can we collaborate with partners or people to achieve our goals yeah completely agree with you adam and and that leads me nicely onto, onto the next part, which is getting your perspective of what you love about the sector and what are some of your pet peeves or frustrations about the sector? Okay, what I love, that it's values driven, that within the sector, I have definitely met some of the smartest people, but also that they are kind that they are compassionate that they want to achieve great things so i think that that ambition and that focus on impact i i think of the things that i love about the sector sometimes it doesn't quite get there it can be a bit inward looking risk averse slow to move I think all the things that frustrate everybody but I think if it can you know keep the energy that we saw within the pandemic and just keep that focus on achieving something great for the beneficiaries that they serve that's that's what I love about the sector that's what drove me to despair working in the commercial sector was, you know, the going back to grey men in suits and spreadsheets. Um, don't look at the world 
through a spreadsheet. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And, you know, I've done a fair few of these podcasts now and almost every time I ask that question, um, I get very similar answers. You know, we're very fortunate to work in a sector whereby we work with like-minded, passionate colleagues um, who have a passion for the cause and are equally as intelligent um, as well. But also the frustrations, definitely one of the word, the phrases that I've heard time and time again is that we can be risk averse. And, and maybe the pandemic has taught us that we don't have to be risk averse. Maybe we can take you know, a fair few more risks in order to serve our beneficiaries. And hopefully that's a learning that, that comes out of our sector um, in the next few years. Because the more we innovate, the more likely we are um, going to um, solve some of the the deeper issues in our society from poverty to climate change. Um, so it's important that we we really do push the boundaries in what we think is possible. And Adam, if, if organisations or individuals out there are really interested in the work that you're currently doing at Dive to Thrive and the angle that you're taking on uh, mental health and well-being, where can they find out more about you, more about um, your organisation? Oh, thanks, Usman. Um... Hopefully I'm easy to find. Um, the website, dive to thriveco.uk. You can email me, Adam at dive to thriveco.uk or find me on LinkedIn and Instagram. Well, I'm sure um, you'll be easy to find with all those details. You're on Instagram, <laughs> LinkedIn, website, email, you've got everything. Um, Adam, it's been absolutely fantastic speaking with you again. I'm sure we'll do this at some point in the future. But thank you very much for your time and I've really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, thank you too, Usman. It's been a real pleasure to speak to you again. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to catch up in the near future. Thank you very much. Thank you, Adam, for sharing your thoughts and insights with us today and your commitment to ensuring that everyone is given the tools to be able to perform at their best, which will no doubt allow our sector to continue to fight for a better world for all. Thank you everyone for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. And that leads me to thank our corporate sponsors. This episode of Charity Chat has been brought to you by fundraising platform Work For Good who are inviting charities to get in the Christmas spirit by joining the Small Business Star Match Funding campaign. This year, there is a £50,000 match pot to help charities maximise the impact of sales-based festive fundraising. Head to their website at workforgood.co.uk to sign up for free. Giant Squid Audio Lab for sponsoring our podcast kit. Magda Aksumit for our website design. And you can check that out at www.charitychat.org.uk and Forest of Fools who have been playing throughout and are playing us out now. 